Hi, welcome to Mind Rolling, and I'm Raghu Marcus with David Silver. Hello, Hi, everybody. Hi. I'm just back from Maui and this uh, incredible retreat that we had there with Ram Das, Krishna Das, Jack Cornfield, some of the people who you hear regularly on mindpodnetwork.com. And since I'm bringing that up, we want to encourage people to continue to flock to that destination site, mindrollingpod.com, where you will find Mind Rolling. And uh, it's just getting uh, to be such a wonderful family adventure that, uh, Dave, at the retreat, as you know, and I told you, I I haven't told you too much, but Duncan Trussell, as everybody knows from the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, who is very much part of our family, and he was there with me. And for the first time at these retreats, which are pretty serious, well, they're not serious, but they have some weighty material when you have somebody like Jack Cornfield uh, up there. And oh, by the way, David, he led uh, a guided meditation uh, around the idea of unlimited sky and just becoming that in an unlimited being that we really are. It was fantastic. And that's all, all going to be available on ramdas.org to plug our other uh, organization that we're involved with, both David and I. And so this, uh, this podcast with Duncan was just spectacular because we got Jack to come up and talk to us a little bit of uh, about this, that, and the other. And it was live, and there was about 100 people in the room. And uh, then we took some questions. It was a fun thing. It's kind of what we're doing with uh, MindPod in terms of uh, we are doing a uh, monthly. We're trying to do it monthly now. I'm rambling on about all of our stuff here, Dave. Um, are well, you I'm getting bored? Because listening you're listening. Like everyone else. You are. <laughs> I am. But uh, I, know, I know what you're saying. You know. I, well, but it's a thing. People should know this is a kind of a web of a web within a web within of, a web. You know, quality. It's yeah. of quality. Yeah. I think this is Tim Tai really it mean is, that. Yeah. Not being ironic. It's part of the quality. But he doesn't take itself too seriously because none of these teachers are about, you know, that kind of talking down stuff. They're really trying to communicate with people knowing that a lot of good energy is going backwards and forwards. You know, that's your retreat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's brings forth the, um, the crux of really what this is, uh, this whole mind pod thing. I mean, it really does. It's because it's really the only people that we have involved, they're not talking down to anybody. They're not sermonizing, you know, and we stop each other from doing that here on mind rolling. They're absolutely, just speaking from their own heart experience in a very practical way. So I, I think it's uh, it's. And as really... far as Ramdas goes, Rago, as you very well know, it's been like that from the start. Because when I first came into contact with him, it was in in New York, not in India, and I couldn't believe it right from the get go in whatever seventy one seventy or whatever, how easily translatable what he was saying was to every aspect of my daily life, and there was no sort of distance between his honest portrayal of his life of, as he lived it and teachings for you that were really identifiable with and the language in which he spoke was constantly ending in humor yeah right the humor being it's funny a huge part and, of and all KT of this is very funny yeah and, and that is, all these people have that too all these people on MindPod uh, have that that exact quality plain spokenness humor and not taking themselves too seriously. Right. And, and then really, did it, it all does stem from how Ramdas approached this when he first came back from India that time. All right, I'm switching gears, Dave. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, because we, it, there's still folks, there's still time. I feel now I'm getting in a crazy Eddie mode, right? Uh, yeah, we've got to do it. it I'm, it's, you know. Yeah, and uh, You're pretty wait, I can be crazy, Eddie. Crazy. I, no, I'm going to be crazy, Eddie. Notch it up a bit, Ron. You, okay, I will. <laughs> If you, I'll do that. If you'll do the, uh, our, you know, Cockney Bob kind of deal, okay? Yeah, well, I'm doing it in in, in terms of Russell Brand now. <laughs> oh, you are. <laughs> oh yeah, it's all in. He's entered my soul, and I'm speaking like him. <laughs> all right, Amazon, everybody, you got to go to mindpodnetwork.com, 
and pick up any individual podcaster. You can pick up, pick up by that I mean, go in and bookmark the Amazon link either on their page or on the General Mind Pod page. You can do it any which way you like, and it'll go to support the whole scene or the individual and the scene. And please, there's time to still get your Christmas gifts through Amazon. I th- they're shipping till like what, Dave? Oh, the twenty third, right? Phenomenal, yeah. 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 So uh, this uh, and and this uh, this gives us uh, well over a week. To... And it's a range of stuff. I mean, it, we, we obviously people know this, but let's just emphasize the range of stuff available on Amazon is is a bit scary. It's so huge and wide. You can think of anything, anything. You know, I want a coffee table with a brown top and antique, faux antique claws on the bottom of the legs. <laughs> and it will be there. It will be there. Yeah. If it isn't some facsimile, you know. Yeah, right. and as far as books and music and movies and DVDs and, and Christmassy type things. and Well, know, I've got it's all, something. It's all there. It's I all got there. some. And I've made, I've found stuff that Dave's gone, wow, I want that. And he's ordered it right away. Absolutely. And so... And really, this helps to support this. It, now that it's this is a bigger endeavor, there's even more need, really, for your uh, from you for your support. Um, we, there, are, there are monthly payments that we need to make out to make it available on iTunes, for instance, for you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and uh, editing. And you know, there's all sorts of uh, larger expenses. So I, at this point, I'm being self-serious, but asking for your support, if not that way through Amazon, a donation or buy a T-shirt or, or however which way. Uh, we're really happy to have your support. And so here's the, Dave, here's for you. Remember Zap Comics? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, Zap Comics is uh, Robert Crumb, and he did these incredible... Po- and he's been kind of doing them off and on. He lives in France now. And uh, one of the, my favorite character was Mich- Mr. Natural. Casey Tuari, to me, was Mr. Natural, by the way. Yeah. I mean, he fit that perfectly. That's one of our mentors. Yeah. So they have put out... A box set, the complete Zap Comics. If this really? isn't a great Christmas gift, I'm going good... out and I'm getting yes. it. Yes, for yes. A, a number of people, you know, especially yeah. you know, hippies and you know people from that era. But hey, you guys that are just getting turned on to some of this stuff, Zap Comic Comics will that guy will turn you on. So go ahead and go for it there. And then some. Uh, uh, there's there's other just to mention. How about a Bowers and Wilkins 17 Bluetooth speaker? Okay, it's from B&W. It's a portable Bluetooth, right, that features a battery. It can last up to 18 hours and will pump up anywhere you go. You just take your portable device and bang, you have like an instant club thing going on. I mean, it's really... Uh, these, are good. these are really professional choices. I'm impressed. <laughs> I was going to recommend these obscure Taoist books, ah, which I'm still going to do. All right. Well, okay. Then I won't take up too much of your time. But I, you know, <laughs> I like this kind of stuff. There's yeah. a there's a, how about new, Neil Young's new book? I hear is fantastic. It's his second memoir. It's called uh, uh, Neil Young Special Deluxe, and there's a picture of one of his cars. He's into cars up there, and um, and then. This is, I guess I'm into speakers because, you know, I really want to enhance, like when I travel, you know, listening to music. And so here's the Marshall. Remember Marshall, uh, who made those amps at Hendrix? I can't hear now so well because of standing in front of Hendrix, because Hendrix's Marshall amps many times in those days. Okay. I am, I can hardly hear you at all most of the time, Dave. Uh, Marshall Stanmore wireless speaker. It's a massive sound from a blue, another Bluetooth speaker that looks like a vintage Mar- Marshall amp, and uh, that's uh, it's expensive now, but it's this tiny thing that blows away anything. It's four hundred bucks. Marshall Stanmore. Go to Amazon. Dave, what do you got? Well, um, you know, I'm not as assiduous, but I I just love this guy. And I've been reading him for 20 years. And every time I lose my balance, which happens, you know, thousands, uh, I tend to go to Thomas Cleary's books. 
Really? And uh, Thomas Cleary is the Western, you know, sort of master of Taoism. And his books are beautiful and interesting and beautifully written. But the one I recommend is The Book of Balance and Harmony. The Book of Balance and Harmony by Thomas Cleary. It's, it's on Amazon along with most of it, I think all of his books. The Art of War is on his version, but other ones about various, really, and it's not at all obscure. I mean, you can read it and it's delightful and it's all on Amazon. And I really recommend, and it, I, one of the things I love most about Thomas Cleary Rago is his name. You know, Cleary. He's just the clearest guy ever. You know, I think his name was probably something like Higginbottom, or you know, some weird English name. And he, he made it, but he's clear. And it just—I find it very refreshing when I read him. I just—it's like it's like a drink of water. Taoism, when it's presented in a, a sort of a, a somewhat poetic way, is so—it's lovely. You know, so um, I recommend Thomas Cleary's uh, Book of Balance and Harmony, and just check out his other books on Amazon. They're all there. And by the way, we will have all of this on the page, on the Mind Rolling page on MindPodNetwork.com. Uh, you can just go to MindRollingPodcast.com and get right to the page as well. And on that page, uh, per this podcast, you right. will find everything that we're, you know, the things that we're talking about, uh, where you can go uh, onto Amazon and look them up and uh, and please do order them and get them for Christmas and and give us a real bump uh, in terms of support, which we need. Is I guess we've really done that in, right? I have another one. Oh, because I, I just realized that before the podcast, I was looking at my records and my CDs. And uh, I would recommend the last four albums, actually the last 10 albums of Los Lobos, uh, who have been, I think, my favorite American band for many years. Mm. And recently I saw them for the first time. I'd never seen them. They don't come to the East that much. And they were better than I even thought they were. And Kiko is their most mystical album, Kiko. K-I-K-O, uh, but all of them are just so moving and so multi-dimensional, uh, spiritual and relationships and mm. ecology and Chicano and Californian clashes and just beautiful music, though. always beautiful music. We should have. So I recommend Los Lobos. We should have. We haven't. We should have played a Los Lobos. Cut, really? But I, at this point, uh, I actually you're turning me on because I'm I don't believe I have uh, uh any albums of Los Lobos, so we need to, uh, maybe you'll do that, you just give us, I need to have one that you would highly recommend, and you can put that up on the site. Uh, Their very first album, which is called, I think, Hour of the Wolf, it's got wolf in the title, Los Lobos, you know, mm. uh, is extraordinary for a first album. Oh my goodness, when I first heard that, I couldn't believe I didn't know them, and I didn't. Mm. But now, um, there's a box set which you can get, but I love Kiko the most because it's got this incredibly beautiful music that you've never really heard before. It's like psychedelic Mexican music. I can't yeah. start to remember that. It's wonderful stuff. Huh? Great. All right. So are you, plenty of recommendations. Dave's are way more highbrow and uh, purposeful than mine I with these idiotic so. speakers, except for in so. the comic books. I mean, that shows you where I am. Oh, but that, but the Zap book. Oh, yeah, no, they're Robert, the complete Robert Crumb. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. No, we've got to get that. Uh, Moving forward, this may be uh, an article uh, that we could put under the category Stories from the End of the World. And actually, this story is not... <laughs> he brought it back surreptitiously. I, Never mentioned this in the last... Well, I don't care. Now Even to some of you out there, you, don't, you want more positive in. stuff. This is, this is actually humorous, very humorous, and not, not that... Negative. It's not negative at all. It's slightly okay. negative. Okay. In India, okay, there is an ashram. And an ashram that had gotten very large by virtue of its political connections and the support of very uh, poor people. Because poor people in India, that is the first thing that they do with their money. Uh, aside from eating, is to uh, make sure that uh, their local uh, ashram or so on is supported, and uh, sometimes for pure reasons and sometimes not. And so hidden away in this ashram is the spiritual leader. His name is Ashutosh Maharaj. Everybody in India is called Maharaj, who was declared clinically dead of a heart attack on January 29th this year, 
I kind of heard about this. The local news media, using a Hindu word for a holy man, have taken to calling him Frozen Baba. <laughs> okay, we're talking about Frozen Baba now. This is like the movie Frozen, Frozen Baba. His followers, as well as the ashram leadership, and they flock to this ashram by the thousands, Dave. Okay. They do not know, they don't deny that, and they call him Maharaji, which is really like, oh, God. <laughs> as I say, everybody in India is called Maharaj, and he's there. They don't deny he's frozen in a chamber, but they swear he's alive, having attained samadhi, which is the, the you know, there's so many different levels of samadhi, but a high state of consciousness reserved for the holiest of men, being so evolved that they can control their heartbeat, a state indistinguishable to the unenlightened from death. Okay? Mm. So whenever a saint goes into samadhi, it is his disciples' duty to preserve his body, said the, the ashram uh, preacher, sitting in orange robes, sitting in front of a framed photo of, and here's where the New York Times comes in big time, Mr. Maharaj. Ah. <laughs> From Frozen Baba, he's become Mr. Maharaj, uh, whose likeness uh, dominates. And So what happened is, uh, however, uh, the High Court of Punjab and Haryana issued a 129-page order citing the Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads and referring to the embalming of Lenin. How the Lenin got in there, I don't know. Well, he lay there in state, right, embalmed with Stalin. Uh -huh. The upshot, the state gov government is ordering the cremation of Mr. Maharaj's body within 15 days. And now, so, uh, they're, they're going to have a protest, and they're having a gathering. They expect 60,000 people all over the state to support. Uh, and there's, it's supposed to be happening in a couple of days where there can be uh, a real um, protest, and then the police get into it, and things get shitty over there when that happens, like riots. Yeah. So it's, yeah. you know, on another side of things, it's not a good thing because people are going to get hurt. But according to this article, and I won't go into it, into it any further because uh, it's wacky uh, to the point of, uh, unfortunately, somebody's obviously taken advantage of people in that area and created this monster because of their political connections of a huge ashram, and it's God knows what really benefit where all this stuff is really going. And the fact that they're keeping this guy alive on ice uh, and that's happening kind of says there's some funny stuff going on with Frozen Baba. Yeah, I, but, you know, Can you believe send, this your, stuff? send your tweets to ragumarcus.com. Uh, do we have listeners in India who would be upset? I bet we do. But I mean... But I mean, so, okay, but, you know, we've all read about the multiple Tibetan lamas of high, you know, tulkus and high beings in, in amazing lineages who, when they do pass, uh, it's pretty much fairly common things happen on the physical plane that are remarkable. Rainbows, certainly with Tulku Urgyen, they talk about when he passed, his son was there and he saw this amazing rainbow. And then the bodies re remain undecaying for long amounts of time. 49 days. Yeah, they through that first part lamas. of yeah. And they can do it, whereas others might just, you know, not be that way at all. And it's just sort of a com it's sort of common knowledge, right? I mean, it's not. However, it's not saying that the soul is still sitting there, just sort of hanging. It's just saying that the quality of the person's uh, practice and his or her, you know, closeness or reaching into samadhi all the time makes the body kind of like just go, you know, it's just chillaxes out. Well, I think here, you know, where these people put the guy on ice, and that's a little, you know, that, you know, that gets it into in a whole other area. That's sort of, no, I, that's weird. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't. They're saying. obviously protecting their interests. <laughs> but how long can this go on? It's like Elvis. You know, it's like having a hologram of yeah. Elvis, which of course <laughs> there is now. Yeah, right. Exactly. Anyhow, news. That's news from the end. Well, that was very much. No, I, it's, I like it's that. Not one. Really, yeah, no, it's not really. Yeah. Won't get flack about that. that. Yeah. Um, now, here's where Dave and I, uh, 
Well, here, I'm going to tell you, we've gotten into a little thing about this next part of the show. (laughs) (laughs) And that is that I found, as as I do, I love going through the Times and magazines and stuff and finding interesting things to share. And this was an article called Abundance Without Attachment. And it starts out talking about Christmas and how Christmas is at our throats again. And that was the cheery Yuletide greeting favored by the late English playwright Noel Coward. And then at the same time, they quote Calvin Coolidge, this president. Christmas is not a time for a season, but a state of mind to cherish peace and goodwill, to be plenteous in mercy is to have the real spirit of Christmas. And he says, so which side are you on? And and basically what he's saying in this article, and, and I do want to get into it, but we're going to talk about something else first, is that uh, many of us lash out at this, at the commercialization of Christmas and and this abundance turns into like so much candy that you're stuffing into your child's mouth and then they become uh, completely uh, shot up on speed for about a week uh, and it ends up being that kind of a thing and this abundance is not abundance it's just a lot of stuff and talks about attachment so what is abundance related to attachment, and I thought there were some really salient points made in this article about this stuff, even quoting the Dalai Lama and the Bhagavad Gita. And I thought, this is somebody who writes, I think, pretty regularly for the New York Times in the opinion. And I say, so it's a great article uh, written by an opinion writer for the New York Times named Arthur C. Brooks. And at first, he didn't react and didn't say anything. Oh, okay, let me find it and read it and all that. And then he calls me back in a, in a very, okay, do you want to assume well, the serious tone? No, come know, on, tell the yeah. truth. Oh, all right. You so got on me. I read it, you know, because, you know, I get the link and I read it. And it's very, it's actually got some really good points and some things that I think are questionable. But it's its on the right track. And, and he's really... Uh, you know, saying that this drive towards, you know, acquisition and the stressors of Christmas are absurd and that we should be finding a, another dimension for abundance, of abundance. And we we all know that it's true. Uh, but then I saw that, I remember that uh, Arthur Brooks was the president of AEI, which is the American Enterprise Institute, which is a far, far right think tank in Washington and has in it little known people like Vice President Dick Cheney, the Carlyle Group, which is a, a, a funder of all kinds of strange activities around the world, and Lynn Cheney, and all the people who uh, pushed for the Iraq war under George W., uh, Paul Wolfowitz, Richard Pearl, all of them. They're all members of the American Enterprise Institute and have done, I think, a, a tremendous amount of damage, actually, to the planet, and I've known about them for many years because I follow that sort of stuff. When I looked at the list of people, and then this guy, Arthur Brooks, is the president. Uh, and it just freaked me out because I thought, well, if he really believes all this stuff, they're known for their espousal of capitalism at all costs. That's a thing. They hate government. They hate government welfare. They constantly speak against it. They informed an entire Reagan agenda. And then they forced uh, the basic Iraq plan upon George W. via Dick Cheney. This is the American Enterprise Institute, and this guy's the president. Mm. However, then, Raga, I did some more research on him, and, you know, he wrote books that that were definitely thoughtful books. Uh, You know, he was a professor, and he wrote some books about why uh, a nanny state can actually destroy the will of the people. And I think he was absolutely sincere in the sense that he was saying, if we want to create a society that's full of happiness, and that's his word, uh, we can't just give it to people. It's good for them to have a, 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 a paradigm that brings about uh, striving and uh, independence and uh, freedom. And he wrote those books, and then eventually the AEI, you know, got him in there and said, "This is what this is just what we are about, which is spreading capitalism throughout the planet." And but not just capitalism, but extreme right-wing version of it, which means the banks are forgiven everything. And uh, the arms industries and pharma 
and uh, oil are the main supporters of these uh, right-wing think tanks. So this guy, it's complex. And Rago asked me before, just before we were, we were doing the podcast, the question of, well, do we just then condemn him to hell? I mean, is what he's, you know, it, it, what he says seems to be incredibly clear and useful. So because he's this person, is he incapable of having these kinds of, of um, intuitions that jibe very much with uh, Mr. Cornfield and Mr. Goldstein and Roshi and all these wonderful teachers? Uh, and you know, I don't have a real answer for that yet, but I just wanted, now we know what, what, yeah, this is the crux of what we were going back and forth about. And, but I, I will say, uh, I mean, not to put words in your mouth because when you said to me, this is somebody I have uh, reviled and this organization for quite some time. And so when David says that to me, I'm going, oh, okay, I don't know anything about it. But, uh, well, I know enough to know who, uh, obviously, this organization I have heard about, but I've never just, oh, it's just another right-wing thing, but I don't know the details the way David knows them. And when he tells me something like that, then I go, oh, okay. I, you know, I just take it for granted. It is what it is. Uh, that's the beauty of 40-odd years of knowing each other. So and then it struck me, Okay, what do we do here? Because as David says, there's some things in here worthy of bringing and forth and sharing. And what do we do? And also, it also brings up the other us and them conundrum that we have been dealing with since episode one of Mind Rolling. How do we deal with this us and them? And if we keep Arthur over there in the them side and we say, well, he's just... He, we can't consider bringing him into the us side, then what are we doing and what are we perpetrating? So it brings that whole thing up again. And I said, well, look, everybody is a complex character and they're not all one thing. And so he may have this, this belief that we feel is hurting people by virtue of uh, not allowing money to flow or money and services to flow through to people who are disenfranchised and don't have the chances that many, that actually fewer people have in this country these days mm. to to become successful and be able to support themselves in a way that's, uh, uh, you know, at I least mean, uh, he, commensurate sorry. with a, a real uh, lifestyle. So... Uh, so that's the that's our conundrum, and um, so Dave, we're leaning towards sharing some of what Arthur has to say here. What? Well, no, I mean, you know, um, when uh, the uh, much reviled uh, torture committee came out with their findings last week, Diane Feinstein, uh, the second speaker was Senator John McCain, and I watched that speech and I was deeply moved and impressed by what he said and he's a pretty conservative republican and he's done some things I, I i don't personally agree with but his speech was so courageous and so to the point and was so supportive of just stopping this horror show because he of all men and women in the senate is the only one who was tortured by the north vietnamese yeah. and he was tortured and what he said was it's not a question of whether it works or not it's a question of whether it's morally right or not, and it's wrong. And when he said this, I looked at him and I realized I just loved him for that moment, you know. I just thought, this is a great thing he's doing. And he's also the main person against Citizens United, which is an uprooter of democracy, as you all know, uh, creating unlimited resources, un un, you know, undocumented for the political parties. McCain-Feingold was the, the only thing, the only machine in Congress that stopped that. And now they're reversing it. So I think John McCain is a very complex man, too. But yeah, when I was looking at this, I was deeply impressed. I really was. And even by Lindsey Graham, his South Carolina friend, who the senator from South Carolina, who, again, is not to my taste in many ways, but he did the same thing. He said, I couldn't agree more. And that was it. You know, everything else, all the other people put it down heavily and said that it was biased and not bipartisan and untrue and, and dangerous for the world. Whereas McCain, who I really trust a lot more than guys who were just playing golf a lot, is saying it is absolutely not what we want in America. So all that rambling on is just to say that, you know, we do have to be open to that 
that you just said, right. that we're not just one thing until we are indeed one thing. Right. <laughs> exactly. Know? So Exactly. So, all right, we're going to go forward then. And... I mean, Rog, I just want to add that you didn't go, you, I think you should quote more from this article, actually. I mean, that's how, it's a really good article. I mean, there are no, I am. I am. I said we're going to go forward, so I'll start oh, okay, uh, cool, cool, sharing cool. some of it. Uh, so basically, it's he's saying, on one hand, we naturally seek and rejoice in prosperity. On the other hand, success in this endeavor is often marred by a materialism we find repellent and alienating. And everybody goes through that around Christmas, so that, that's uh, easy to identify with. So he had this... So he said, I had an opportunity when I went to India to sort out this contradiction. And he, so basically he found this, uh, a Hindu Swami, uh, and we'll tell the name, because he says in this, Swami, at the end of the thing, you know, you're going to get your name splattered all over media. So it's, uh, for me, who's been in India so much, I can barely uh, say his name. And I think it's Gyan Munidas. That's what I think it is. And he is in a Hindu temple in Delhi, and he never met him before. I don't know how he got hooked up with him, but bottom line is this, this guy grew up in America, got an MBA, and made a lot of money in Texas, okay, at the University of Texas. But then he had some awakening at 26, and uh, he, he grappled with that question, which led him to India about abundance, where he renounced everything and he became a, a, a monk. And from that moment on, the sum total of his worldly possessions has been two robes, a prayer beads, and a wooden bowl. And he's prohibited from even touching money. So uh, what turned out, this guy was like a very cool guy because he had grown up in America and he had not lost any of his vernacular kind of conversational. And uh, he calls him dude. <laughs> well, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Swami... Is economic prosperity a good or bad thing? I held my breath and waited for the answer. It's good, he replied. It has saved millions of people in my country from starvation. That's not what I expected. But you own almost nothing. And I was sure, I was sure you'd say that money is corrupting. And he laughed at my naivete. There is nothing wrong with money, dude. The problem in life is attachment to money. The formula for a good life, he explained, is simple. Abundance without attachment. It's kind of an appealing concept and in a way slightly misleading. Uh, I can see people going out, oh yeah, well, we're going to accumulate some 5 million, 10 million, 20 million dollar houses and cars and we just don't care about them. They could be stole, you know, and it could be some mind game that you play with yourself. But I love right. the, uh, again, the concept is great. And just, it's great to keep, when you read this stuff or you know, hear this stuff, I love the fact that you keep in mind where this guy comes from. The organization, that, what's the name of the organization, David, that he's from? American Enterprise Institute. So he's from American Enterprise Institute, a far-right organization dedicated really in the end to supporting, I mean, not intended as such, but it ends up as, as, you know being the emblem for the one percent it seems to me so here's this guy asking these kinds of questions it's, it makes it even more poignant doesn't it it so, does and it does i when i read further about uh, arthur brooks i found that he still uh, uh insists that he's an independent and not a right winger or a republican or anything and i i guess when he was made the 11th president of this organization uh it was controversial because of his uh, independent sort of thinking. Mm. But, uh, you know, you're dead right. Within this article, uh, he's saying that uh, obsession with material possession and being attached to having all this stuff is a killer, you know, and therefore the, the you know, Bill Maher calls it one long holiday, he calls it what? Thanks, Halloween, Christmas, New Year or something. <laughs> and he said we should just start at, you know, uh, Halloween and not stop and call it that because it's just one long thing of who, who can I buy this for so-and-so and does she already have it? Will she like it? No, I have to return it. Oh, my God, I'm in the center of the city. I can't breathe. There's 10 million people. Oh, my God, and I forgot to call it. It's stressors, and it's ridiculous. You should be stressors because, you know, we're talking about the Prince of Peace. 
Yeah. The Prince of Peace, which means the Prince of Peace. It doesn't mean the Prince of how many presents do I need to buy this year? Well, we all know this, and I think a lot of people are very sensitive to this, actually, these days. But um, Mr. Brooks is very clear in saying that uh, he goes on to say some other things, Roger, which I think are kind of interesting. He says, there are three things in the realm of material things. Uh, attachment results in envy and avarice. Getting beyond these snares is critical to life satisfaction. How to do it? He says there are three practices. First, collect experiences, not things. You know, you'll remember being with your son on a trip, but you won't remember that incredible couch that the whole family was freaking out about for a couple of days. They wanted it, it was so comfortable. And then in 30 years, it's fallen to pieces and you've forgotten it exists. That's the, that's the example he uses. The second thing is, um, uh, what is it? Second thing is steer clear of excessive usefulness. Meaning, don't be so hard on yourself that you're just constantly thinking, what good am I, what am I doing? I must do this, I must achieve that. I must, which kind of goes against everything that the American Enterprise Institute seems to believe. Yeah, which is which, crazy. You know, I'd like, you know, it'd be great if Mr. Brooks would talk to us because, you know, maybe we're flying to I, to, you know, you don't get those kind of people anymore. But... Um, I think he would probably be able to justify this. But he says, steer clear of this. He calls it a weird thing. He said, um, our daily lives often consist of a dogged pursuit of practicality and usefulness at all costs. This is a sure path toward the attachment we need to avoid. Aristotle makes this point in his Nicomachean Ethics. Nicomachean Ethics. Hmm. He shows admiration for learned men because, quote, they knew things that are remarkable, admirable, difficult, and divine, but useless. <laughs> and, you know, that's a beautiful point. That, and it's interesting, because when I was living in England, America's image in the world was that of the most amazing inventions, the best transportations, looking into the future and creating innovations fast. And it was, there was no comparison in Western Europe, or in, certainly in Eastern Europe. At that time, And America was beloved uh, around the world for these inventions like, you know, whatever, that eventually seep down to other cultures. And, and he's saying to the opposite here, he's saying, yeah, you can have inventions that help people, but don't make yourself just a, a, a utility deal. Yeah. Be, fr be free of that. And then just the third one, Raga, he says, um, the third way to counter this, this obsession is get to the center of the wheel. And he's talking about, actually... Uh, a wheel uh, that was uh, in early church iconography where the wheel was around the sides and that was the world and Jesus was in the center. And, the, you know, if you stay on the rim of this reality, what flows in the wheel, you will never get free of the attachment. Whereas if you look towards the, again, the Prince of Peace, you might, you know, divest yourself of this obsessive behavior and understand that uh, presentness Awareness and love and kindness was the answer. So you know, this is a this is a profound article, and it does present us with some very clear, you know, uh, you know, sort of models. Like, you know, don't get too, don't get too obsessed with that incredible printer that I got yesterday. I mean, I put it together, Raghu, and I stared at it for like twenty minutes because I've had such a lousy printer for so long, and I have this incredible printer now. And I'm looking at it, and there's a little blue light that goes on to show that it's wireless, and it does everything, and it looks very cool. And I'm looking at it, like, hello, what a printer. Well, you know, <laughs> I think I need to get outside. Yeah, you do. <laughs> You'll be okay, Dave. It'll be okay. <laughs> hey, I do want to say something about that wheel, okay? Yeah. Because I think something was said that he did say something. Make sure you know... What is the transcendental truth at the center of your wheel and make that your focus? I, that, I think, is almost the most important thing that is said in this article. Mm. It really is because when we can divine, and we talk about all the stuff we talk about on, on mind rolling, about how do we get balanced day to day, what are the things we do need to do, some practices, because without that we can't shift our habitual patterns and all that and be caught up in our mind and all that stuff. And to, to have a central, transcendental truth 
that everything revolves around that we can still keep referring back to. And I can only give my own example, and David would be the same, is that we have understood and experienced the reality of God, guru, and self are one, and that that we've had this interaction with the guru, that he representing those things and bringing together the divine, the super intelligence, whatever you want to call God, and bringing together our own individual part of that and how those two things are brought together by that entity, the guru. And that is the center, and that is our transcendental truth from which everything evol- uh, uh, circles all of our life. All, not it's it's not just there's a spiritual life and then there's a material world. It's only one thing, and all of it, if it can be revolving around a transcendental truth that means something to you, and it can be what we're talking about. You have some experience of that guide. It can be through intuition. It can be as simple as Christ or Hanuman or a deity. That it's, uh, which is very much the fact in in India with with Hindu uh, folks. So whatever it may be, I think that 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 idea and that concept is super important. And and we want to give more credit to Arthur C. Clark, Mr. Clark Brooks. I'm sorry. Arthur, you know Arthur C. Clark wrote. Um, yeah, that, one, the original I made this mistake before. I'm so sorry, uh, well, Mr. Brooks. Well, you must sort of like Arthur C. Clark. I love like. Arthur C. Clark. He wrote those. Inc- There's something else, by the way. If you want to get some good books, right? Yeah, Sci-fi yeah. books. Arthur C. Clark, the best. Yeah. I, I haven't read one in a long time, but now no. I ca- this has triggered me to do that. And uh, sorry about the diversion, Dave. And Ray Bradbury also. Yes. Quality, yes. Sci- early science fiction, can, but very high quality. Can I say, please go to Amazon and pick those books up? Yeah, do it. You're good at this. Yeah, Come on. Right. You don't get angry. You're, you're very oh. nice. <laughs> Countless studies show that doing things for their own sake, as opposed to things that are merely a means to achieve something else, make for mindfulness and joy. Mr. Brooks has to have some real wisdom inside himself, okay? I don't, yeah. I, it's, this is a huge conundrum, the fact that he represents uh, and is president, not only, of this organization. And then, and he goes on and he, he's quoting the Dalai Lama, material goods themselves are not the problem. The real issue is our delusion that satisfaction can arise from gratifying the senses alone. His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. And, and one more thing, and he brings, I mean, these are just great. That's why I was so wildly enthusiastic about this article. And then when Dave, do you know who Arthur Brooks is? He said to me, <laughs> no, not really. I thought he was an opinion writer for the new. No, he's head of the devil organization oh, draconian than they are well your tone was very and it my whole thing got deflated i oh my god what am i i didn't mean to do, i i just wanted you to know before you, we got like tweets from people yeah duncan's people well, maybe sure, yeah. no, be saying okay. these guys are the masters of the evil universe what are you talking about yeah. but but rog is right there's, there's some very 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 trenchant he, spiritual realization yeah exactly uh again this is such a perfect pointing out that nobody is one thing and we have to give enough space to whoever it is that we oppose in thinking and philosophy we have to give enough space to ourselves to be able to include them in a conversation and uh, david and i have one friend who i think is better at this and he's talked to us about it before than than anyone i know and, and it's danny goldberg who uh, last time we talked, we got to have Danny on again, by the way. This is, yeah. you know, to talk about this uh, further because it needs further uh, elucidation. And, and that is, you know, th- uh, it, he brought up the thing of thinking of this stuff in historical uh, perspectives and, and so on and, and our natural propensity to uh, knee-jerk react to stuff. It, it, it's, it's very true. This guy brought up, Arthur, brought up Something I, I never knew about, and I was really super happy about this as well. So remember, Dave, he talks about in Tibetan, the word attachment mm. 
mm. is translated as do chug, which literally means sticky desire. Does that say it better than anything? That if you can just work on some stuff about un, that unsticks you from that, it yeah. won't matter what you have or what you don't have. Possessions, abundance, it doesn't matter. So it's so if we talk, okay, is it too much like a fly trap and you can't get your feet out of it or your emotions yeah, no, out of it? It's, it's two words that say it. Yeah, it signifies a desperate grasping at something. Desperate grasping. Motivated by fear of separation from the object. It's, that's right there. One can find such attachment in many dysfunctional corners of life. From jealous relationships to paranoia about reputation and professional standing. Uh, enough said. Sticky well, desire. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. He also, uh, on top of all that, he talks about this wheel, you know, that you mentioned and I mentioned. And, and he, 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 listen to this. He says, Chaucer's Canterbury Tales uses the idea of the wheel to tell of important people brought low throughout history. And thus does fortune's wheel turn treacherously and out of happiness bring men to sorrow. Maya, in other words. So he even quotes Chaucer brilliantly on this. So it's a beautiful collation of the Dalai Lama and Christ and Chaucer. And so, so it's a fabulous article. And, you know, uh, for those of our progressive um, friends who are listening, um, I, neither Rago and I are about to join the American Enterprise Institute. <laughs> and I do not approve of these draconian and weird policies that they instituted in the 90s and in the 10s. Of this, Maybe if we join, we can help change them from within. Well, but the, the thing is, Arthur ask them about compassion. You know, well, he must be. Uh, I, I'm sure he's not that, you know, divided and compartmentalized that he doesn't feel these intuitions when he's dealing with politics. So it's it's interesting this, and someone should actually write. We should write a letter to the Times asking these questions. We have got to do that. Fantastic, and you're the man to do it because you are literate, a no, man no. of letters. Come on, you're a good writer. Come on. You're far better than I am and far more intelligent and, uh, in these matters. So can you please do this? I'd like to actually, why don't yeah. we even uh, invite him in this letter? We would love to invite Mr. Brooks yes. onto the show and uh, onto the MindPod ne Network. I mean, a perfect per person to have him as part of a conversation would be Jack Cornfield. Yes, because Jack uh, is uh, not stuck in us and them uh, no. more than uh, Ramdas. I don't even put in that category because he is obviously worked on this his whole life. But uh, I just thought of Jack in this particular case to uh, really uh, relate with him questions around truth because he's talking. You know, you talked about will that when you just give everybody uh, support, welfare and all of that, and food stamps, and I suppose they're against that. Are they against welfare and food stamps? Well, I, I don't want to be oversimplistic about yeah. what, but it, it would fit in with all of the uh, right-wing Republican ethos, you know, which is basically that the welfare state is a dangerous thing. And I believe this, that many of them are totally sincere about this. And maybe Arthur Brooks believes that, um, you know, too much government, you know, sort of design, engineering of human behavior and social interaction is, is not good because it takes people away from that central core which can bring them spiritual, uh, you know, a deeper spiritual uh, awareness. And, and well, I, I don't know about He's sincere. Spiritual awareness. I think he's talking about the will to be able to get out there and make, make a success in a life for themselves. That, that if you yeah, completely but, just give them, you know, right. a means to survive, they'll just survive. I think that's what these people are talking about, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, a lot of, a lot of them also say, you know, and, and can argue pretty cogently about it, that, you know, the, the uh, you know, overdoing of ease and comfort is not good for the for the soul but that has always been weird to me when i see the homeless in the streets of new york city and 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 people who are definitely disenfranchised you know yeah. uh by the way there are people raga i saw this dude from north carolina on television last week in the senate called frank price and uh he's a democrat 
And you'd be hard put to find a more sincere and amazing uh, person in Congress. I was, I was so knocked out by him. And there he is from, you know, North Carolina, uh, fighting the good fight. And he's, he's a definite, you know, resident of where you live. I mean, he's not, he's clearly a native of that, of that part of the world. And his, his humanitarianism and his uh, egalitarianism were very, very impressive. Said with no anger, no polarizing or anything. So you got to be open, you know, that people are all over who have got a heart, but maybe sometimes they've thought about the wrong path to lead to what they think is right. Dave, what do you think about this question? I can't Let, believe that I just got into a thing about a North Carolina Congress. Well, that's great. It makes me feel better because I yeah, thought that they were about to bring back slavery here. Yeah, but he's good. You should check him out. Okay, I'm going to Frank Price. Dave, what about this? Let's let's just give these people, Arthur Brooks and company, just say, okay, maybe you have. There's there's something I have right about the fact that if you do supply all of this welfare and food stamps and everything to uh, poor people, that they lose a part of their will that enables them to push forward. Let's say, I mean, you know, I'm not, I have no comment on that because I'm, I'm too, I can't believe you wouldn't, you would not give somebody what they need in their time of need, no matter what the circumstances are. But let's just give them that, okay? Mm. What, here's the question. If you give them that and you ask uh, Mr. Brooks, in these times especially when the opportunities that people had in the 50s, maybe, and in the 60s, they don't have that opportunity now. Our society is not uh, bountiful that way. The the segmenting and and, uh, polarization of rich and uh, less to do has grown enormously. How can you, Mr. Brooks, uh, allow for the fact completely only one pointedly that, that you're taking away their will by, by supporting him this way. So don't support. How can you say that knowing that there isn't the opportunity in this country that there used to be for people well, to say, advance? Because he wrote a book called The Surprising Truth about compassionate conservatism, and I guess really pushed George W. into using that phrase when he was running for president uh, and used it frequently in his first term. And this author, Brooks, was very part of that expression. And I think he sincerely believes that, you know, the economy's messed up because it's, it's first of all, regulations, too many regulations, too high taxes on both corporations, individuals, all of that yeah. that we know. And that if that were taken away and, and, and the free market was given its full reign, people would have more jobs and they would have more will to, to, to have good lives and so on and so forth. And that in the end, it is actually compassionate. And, you know, a social welfare people like myself would go, well, that's a good theory, but it's never really worked. It's not true. It's not happened. Look what's happened here. But what is happening, the, the, that, you know, I mean, in other words... Is this the situation we find ourselves in right now where, you know, people, I guess, you know, it's health care, it's social security, it's all those issues. And, you know, America was so amazing that, you know, FDR and Lyndon Johnson and even Richard Nixon created Medicare. Nixon created Medicare specifically and, and did it and it's worked ever since. And so it's interesting. There's lots of contradictions here. Yeah. You know, I mean, who would ever thought that Richard Nixon would have actually had an eye or push through Congress, uh, you know, extremely, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of vigorously, the idea of this basic uh, safety net. Now that's considered to be communism. It's so bizarre. Yeah, it's really. And and these countries, and we're talking about stuff uh, further into uh, political stuff uh, that maybe than we usually do, right? Um, but I... Yeah, we can stop. <laughs> No, it's not that point. Really, what it is, I'm. I really. I'm easy. You say something, I go for it. It's yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I really believe is that it's so important to, to, um, to work with this us and them thing. 
And this is the greatest opportunity because it's the most knee-jerk reactionary stuff and that you and I get into, and we're supposedly conscious people, but we do it every day. We're reacting. And this Arthur Brooks article, I think, gave us an opportunity to address that because he said such he wrote such incredible things, his references, his quotes, everything was so uh, right on. I mean, you know, the experiences thing once you get if you're if you're with your lama he might say to you collecting experiences is yep. collecting uh records you it's know, more stuff yeah. it's just stuff it's so very, that's it, another level yeah. of it but from the level of which arthur is talking about this it's there's beautiful stuff here and and it belies all of this other uh his his philosophy as the president of this organization and and so therein lies how can we reconcile all of this inside of ourselves between ourselves and with part of ourselves which mm. is mr brooks so i think that it's in in order to do that i think talking about some of the political polarizations and some of the things that happened and and the complexities and the contradictions i think is really part of our conversation about uh, our main mission here at Mind Rolling, which is how do we get balanced and become kind people? So uh, w- this is good, Dave, but it's we're at the end of our scene at this point. Oh, okay. And uh, so uh, we, yes, it's uh, our sponsors only allow an hour. Yeah, and, I, and we really want to, if you've been listening to this and it's moved you in any way, to one way or the other, please comment on the um, on the uh, website, uh, you know, in the mind rolling section. Uh, send us some opinions about what you think of this particular dichotomy we've been talking about all day, or contradiction. Yeah, this is a good subject, and, yeah. and I hope, Dave, you actually do write to, to the I'll, Times. Well, I'm, I'm on record now, so I'll give it a shot. Yeah. What I would tell Brooks is that, you know, I had a friendship, or a small friendship with William Buckley, F. Buckley in the 60s and did a, an extended interview with him, which I just screened actually. And we became quite friendly and he was an extremely gracious and kind-hearted man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah. We've talked about that before. Yeah. And I disagree with everything he said, but his manner with me as just a young man interviewing him was uh, extraordinarily respectful and, and and enjoyable. So I, you know, I had to think back then, you know, all those years ago about this is a right winger who's the main man behind Ronald Reagan's presidential bid. He was the first person to say Reagan should, when he was editing National Review, he wrote cover stories about how Ronald Reagan should run for president. People laughed at him. And so there I am with that guy. And we maintained a friendship and wrote uh, articles. And he even wrote about me in a, in a, a New York Times column. And he was a, a very compassionate individual. So that was my first, you know, a really kind of amazing skirmish with my own knee jerkness mm. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with it. There's a know. thing, skirmish with my <laughs> knee jerkedness. I like that. You should write. Yeah. Bl- Where's the blogs? I need some more blogs from you. I love I'm your blogs. You were. Right oh, today. great. I'm working great, on one. Great. By the way, everybody, on November 23rd at Dave, what time is our podcast that we're going to oh. do? A oh. live podcast. Isn't it at six? Let no, me, it is not at six. It is oh, at damn. two. You look it up. And meanwhile, let me look at uh, Rachel's. Uh, okay, email. yes. And well, uh, folks, so it's going to be David Silver and myself. And we are going to have our uh, MindPod uh, associates, uh, uh, Noah Lampert and Rachel Fisher, as well as a special guest. Jack Carroll from Great Britain, and we've had Jack on. He's our 16-year-old, he's my guru, Upa guru, meaning that he gave me a teaching last time uh, that was super important. Jack's a wonderful young man, and uh, we're going to take questions and so on, so please do, Dave, do you have the time? Hello, everyone. This is Rachel, and I wanted to announce our live Google Hangout on air uh, you can sign up at mindpodnetwork.com, and it's taking place on December 23rd at 1 p.m. Eastern Time with the wonderful Jack Carroll, myself, Ragu, Dave, and Noah. So uh, go to Mindpod Network and sign up, and we'll send you a link to join us uh, probably the day before. Toodles.
Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week on Mind Rolling Podcast. Go to mindrollingpodcast.com or mindpodnetwork.com and just dig the whole thing because it is super. See you later, Dave. Yeah, bye-bye.